Hello, and welcome to the Wausau Community Theater podcast production of Bram Stoker's Dracula, adapted by Duffy Locknick, with revisions by Chanel Vopel and Casey Hofer. This podcast has been sponsored by Central Concrete Cutting and TDS Fiber, with special thanks to Mark Weiss and the Grand Theater of Wausau and Scott Fritchie. This podcast is a special fundraiser for Wausau Community Theater during the shutdown caused by COVID-19. As you know, theaters around the country have been forced to close their doors due to this pandemic. Please consider making a donation to help keep our community theater alive by going online to www.wausaucommunitytheater.org and clicking Donate. Whether you are a homeowner needing an egress window cut, or a factory needing a 32-inch deep hole, you can count on the professionals at Central Concrete Cutting. As the only local union shop, they have offered the most comprehensive controlled concrete demolition service in central Wisconsin since 1997. Contact Central Concrete Cutting, a proud sponsor of Wausau Community Theater, for all of your concrete sawing and drilling needs. And now, without further ado, we present the penultimate episode of Dracula. Jonathan Harker's Journal, 3rd October. I never thought I'd write in this journal again, but once Mina had shown me the doctor's letters confirming all my doc experiences, a new light came upon me. I realized it was doubt that had knocked me over, but now, seeing reality, I was unafraid, even of the Count himself. Today we traveled to London to meet that fantastic Dr. Van Helsing, as well as a host of others to join a crusade to put a stop to the evil which has been causing much destruction to our loved ones. We arrived at an asylum, the very one that was seated next to Carfax, a possible dwelling of that unholy monster. Our gracious host, Dr. John Seward, provided lodgings for us in the upper levels of the asylum, some unused staff quarters. That evening, Mina and I went to a small conference room to meet the rest of the party. There was Dr. Van Helsing, to whom I owed much, and I made a point of shaking his hand and thanking him. Also in attendance were Dr. Seward, Sir Arthur Holmwood, whom I recognized from the papers, and an American, Quincy Morris, a true cowboy from the West. We all took our seats, and Dr. Van Helsing wasted no time to get to the matter at hand. There are such beings as vampires. Some of us have evidence that they exist. Were it not that through long years I have trained myself to keep an open mind, I could not have believed until such time as the fact thunder in my ear. The Nosferatu do not die like the bee when he sting once. He is only stronger. He have more power to work evil. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong in person as twenty men, and his cunning be the growth of ages. He can direct the elements, the fog, the storm, the thunder. He can command meaner things, the rat and the owl and the bat and the fox and the wolf. He can grow and become small, and he can at times vanish and come unknown. How shall we find his where? And having found it, how can we destroy? 
it is a terrible task we undertake. For if we fail in this our fight, he must surely win. What say you? I can answer yes for Mina and myself. Right, count me in, Professor. I'm with you, for Lucy's sake, if for no other reason. As am I. We know the man has a name. It is Dracula. I have asked a friend in Budapest University about Dracula. He must indeed be the same Dracula who won his name in bloody battle against the Turk. This is supported by our friend Jonathan Harper, for he was kept in the castle in Transylvania. Jonathan? Thank you, Doctor. Yes, I was sent to Transylvania in a professional matter. I was to broker the sale of a property to one Count Dracula. Upon arrival, I was taken prisoner by the Count, who then subjugated me daily to strange horrors. Our enemy has certain mental powers, which enables him an amount of control over his victims. Eventually, I found his powers had lifted, and I was able to escape. I now understand that he was at this time in London, and I also discovered an arrangement of several boxes of dirt to be delivered to his new home. Very crucial indeed. The vampire must sleep in his native soil. By doing so, he is able to retain his powers. As I said, these boxes were delivered to the very home where I had finalized the sale, and one which is not far from the spot where we stand now. It is a modest estate called Carfax. Carfax? My God, Renfield! Something matter, friend John? I am Renfield, a patient of mine, a zoophagist. It's a new categorization I'm working on. He ingests living things for the purpose, as he says, to consume their life power. Sounds a lot like these vampires. Twice this month he had attempted escape. Both times we had found him drawn to that estate, Carfax. It is possible he is under some influence from this mysterious Dracula. Friend John, you and I must call on him tonight. The rest of you must get to rest. For tomorrow we go to Carfax. What for? To seal and destroy the tomb in Earth where Dracula gets his powers. And then kill him where he sleeps. Notes of Dr. John Seward, 3rd October. After our assembly, I showed everyone to their rooms. Tomorrow we were to meet again to discuss our raid on Carfax. First I showed Quincy to his quarters, then Arthur, and finally our newest additions, Mina and Jonathan Harker. Afterwards I went to my study to meet Professor Van Helsing. I was shocked to find Quincy and Arthur waiting for me there, as I had just left them moments before. If something goes wrong with this Renfield character, we want to be there, to have your back. Thank you, Quincy. Both of you have always been loyal friends. Doctor, describe to us your patient. Renfield is, of course, one of my more interesting cases and the subject of my current research. He can be prone to fits of violence. He's attacked me and has displayed great strength. As I said before, he has an obsession with consuming living beings. First flies, then spiders, and even expressing a desire for larger animals, birds, cats... The odd thing is, his interest in particular animals seems to alternate unpredictably, a lot of it in the hopes of pleasing his master. What do you know of this master? Up until an hour ago, I took it as a figment of his wild imagination, but now... It is clear. He is thrall of the vampire. Let us go see him. The four of us made our way down the corridor to Renfield's room. An attendant met us. Going to see Mr. Runfield, Doctor? Yes. Is he awake tonight? Yes. 
and behaving very queerly. He's been asking to see you. Of course, I told him you were engaged all evening. We continued to Renfield's room. We peeped in and saw him sitting very dejected. But upon seeing me, his face brightened, and he stood up straight and proper as we entered. Dr. Seward, thank you for coming. I know you are very busy this evening, but I think it is very important that we talk. Mm, yes, I agree. What is on your mind, Renfield? I am cured, Doctor. I wanted to tell you I am now perfectly sane, and request to be released from this house immediately. I did not know if my companions noticed, but as he spoke, I could see bits of flies stuck in the back of his teeth. Still, his voice and manners were so changed, I was left completely taken aback. I will appeal to your friends. Let me sit in on your judgment of me. You haven't introduced us. Rainfield, this is Sir Arthur Holmwood, Professor Van Helsing, and Mr. Quincy Morris of Texas. Ah, Sir Arthur Holmwood. I had the honor of seconding for your father at Wyndham. He was a man loved and honored by all that knew him. And Mr. Morris, you should be very proud of your great state. Its reception into the Union was a precedent which may have far-reaching effects hereafter, when the Pole and the Tropics have hold their allegiance to the Stars and Stripes. And Van Helsing, what can one say when meeting the man who revolutionized therapeutics by his discovery of the continuous evolution of brain matter? I take all of you as witness that I am as sane as at least the majority of men who are in full possession of their liberties. And Dr. Seward, as a humanitarian and medical expert as well as a scientist, I hope you deem it a moral duty to deal with me as to be considered under exceptional circumstances. I don't know what to say, Renfield. This surely will require further review. You misapprehend my request, Doctor. I desire to go at once here now. This very hour. This very moment. Renfield, I wanted to discuss with you your so-called master. Master? I have no master. I am the master of my own mind. I realize that now, Doctor. Is your master compelling you to say these things now? No. I have to go. I have to get out of here. I can protect her. I have to protect her. Protect who? Renfield, tell us of your master. Is it Count Dracula? He's here tonight. He came to my window in a mist. He promised me things. Not in words, but in doing them. Doing them? How? By making them appear. But I told him, I didn't want souls anymore. I didn't want lives. I wanted my life. Then he whispered to me, Rats, rats, rats. Hundreds, thousands of them. I went to the window and they were there. Spread all over the ground. All lives. All red blood. And before I knew his red mist came over my eyes, and I was opening the sash and saying, Come in, Lord and Master. And when he was in the room, as real as the bright moon, he sneered at me and he went his way as if you owned the place. He's after someone. Somebody here. Someone who owes him something. He's a girl he means to harm. I must stop him. It's Harker. He must be after Mina and Jonathan. You must go now. Alas, that poor man of Mina should suffer. I'm so sorry. Please, Doctor, let me go. For her safety and my own. Stay here. You'll be safe. We'll take care of this. Immediately, we rushed out of the room, locking Renfield inside. We ran upstairs to the Harker's room, only to find it locked. Quincy grabbed the knob and thrusted his shoulder into the door. With a crash, it burst open, and what I saw appalled me. I felt the hair rise like bristles upon the back of my neck. 
and my heart seemed to stand still. Mina Harker's Journal, 3rd October. Jonathan and I made ourselves comfortable in our temporary lodgings, but the situation made us too anxious to sleep. I took a sleeping draft, and Jonathan stayed up looking out to the window. Soon enough, sleep came to me. I did not notice when Jonathan came to bed, for next I remember he was sleeping beside me, and a white mist filled the room. I turned to wake him, but he slept too soundly, as if it was he and not I who had taken the sleeping draft. I looked around terrified, and then my heart sank. Stepping out of the mist as it dissipated stood a tall, thin man dressed all in black. I knew him by the other's descriptions. The waxen face, the high aquiline nose, the parted red lips with sharp white teeth shining between, and the red eyes I had seen at the cathedral in Whitby. In an instant, my heart stood still, and I would have screamed, but he pointed to Jonathan. Silence. If you make a sound, I'll dash his brains out. With a slight clench of Dracula's hand, Jonathan rose out of the bed, his body convulsing as it was lifted into the air and then thrown to the corner of the room. With a mocking smile, the creature placed one hand on my shoulder and bared my throat with his other. Do not worry. It is not the first, nor the second time, that your veins have appeased my thirst. I stood petrified and he put his reeking lips to my throat as I watched Jonathan writhe in the corner, neither of us able to stop the monster. How long this horrible thing lasted, I know not, but it seemed ages before he took his awful, sneering mouth dripping with blood away from my neck. You would play your brains against mine, to help these men hunt me? Whilst they play their wits against me, against me who commanded nations, who commanded nations and fought for them hundreds of years before they were born, and you, that I most beloved, are now to me flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Now you shall come to my call. When my brain says come, we'll cross land or sea to do my bidding. With that, he pulled open his shirt and with a long sharp nail opened a vein in his chest. He seized my neck in his hand and forced my mouth against his chest. I would either suffocate or swallow some of the... Oh, oh my God. My God, what have I done to deserve such a fate? It was then that the door burst open, and I saw the men from the meeting burst into the room. Van Helsing moved most quickly and produced a wafer from his coat. Back! Back, you fiend! The Count threw me to the bed and cowered away from him. The other men produced crucifixes, till further and further back he cowered, and then the moonlight failed behind a great black cloud. As the gaslight sprang up from Quincy Morris's mat... I could see the mist make its way under the door. Jonathan sprang to his feet. God's name! What does this mean? Dr. Seward! Dr. Van Helsing! What is it? Help her! Help her! Guard her while I go look for him! No! No! Jonathan, you must not leave me! I have suffered too much tonight without the dread of this harming you further. Both of you must stay with us. You are safe here. With these instruments he cannot harm and he produced a small golden crucifix and handed it to me. I collapsed into Jonathan's arms, sobbing, and then I saw a red stain left on his shirt where my lips had touched. Unclean! Unclean! I must neither touch nor kiss him no more! Nonsense, Mina! It is a shame to me to hear such a word. I would not hear it of you, and I shall not hear it from you. 
May God judge me and punish me with more bitter sufferings than even this hour, should any act ever come between us. He held me tightly in his arms as I continued to sob. I could hear his uneven breathing, then sensed him tensing with resolution as he looked to the other men. And now, Dr. Van Helsing, tell me what it is we must do. Before Van Helsing could answer, a member of the medical staff came to the door. Dr. Seward, come quick! Something terrible has happened to Mr. Renfield! Notes of Dr. Seward. Van Helsing and I left quickly, leaving Mina and Jonathan under Quincy and Arthur's guard. When we came to Renfield's room, we were much too late. Renfield lay in a heap on the floor, his body twisted and his neck broken in a small pool of his own blood. After examining the scene and body, and knowing the man was already past help, we held each other's gaze. We put an end to this madness. We make no delay to Carfax. We went back upstairs to regroup with the party and strategize our attack. Gentlemen, arm yourselves. Our enemy is not only spiritual, but he has the strength of twenty men. We go into terrible danger. Jonathan Harker's Journal, 3rd October. We gathered supplies of crucifixes and necklaces of garlic, and in the hours before dawn took off to the vampire's residence. The light from the tiny lamps fell in odd forms as the rays crossed each other. I could not for the life of me evade the feeling that there was someone else amongst us. I think the feeling was common to us all, for I noticed that the others kept looking over their shoulders at every sound and shadow, just as I felt myself doing. You know this place, Jonathan. You have copied the maps of it, and you know it at least more than we do. Which is the way to the chapel? I led the way, and after a few wrong turns, found myself opposite a low, arched oaken door. We opened the door, and before us stood the many boxes of dirt, and in the center of the room, a coffin. Van Helsing produced many wafers and a vial of holy water from his pocket. Jonathan, help Mr. Morris and Mr. Homewood. You must sanctify the dirt so he can no longer use it. I will seal his tomb. We went to our work, opening the boxes and crushing the wafers and sprinkling holy water into the boxes as Van Helsing approached the coffin and used a putty to seal the cracks. Oh, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. After our work was done, we went back through the large oak door to the front of the house. But before we arrived, we heard a stirring outside the front door. Have all your arms. Be ready. I could not but admire, even at such a moment, the way in which a dominant spirit asserts itself in a moment of need. In all of our hunting adventures around the world, Quincy Morris had always been the one to arrange the plan of action. Arthur and I had been accustomed to follow him implicitly. Now the old habits seemed to be renewed instinctively. With a swift glance round the room, he at once laid out our plan of attack. Without a spoken word, just a gesture, he placed us each in position. Van Helsing, Harker and I were just behind the door, so that when it opened, the professor could guard while we two stepped between the incomer and the door. Arthur behind and Quincy in front stood just out of sight, ready to move in front of the window. We waited in a suspense that made the seconds pass with nightmare slowness. We heard slow, exacting steps come along the hall. The Count was evidently prepared for a surprise. Suddenly, with a single bound, he leapt into the room, winning away past us before any could raise a hand to stay him. There was something panther-like in the movement, something so unhuman. I was the first to act. I threw myself in front of the door. 
A horrible snarl passed over the Count's face, showing his eye teeth, long and pointed. I took my kukri knife and made a fierce and sudden cut at him. The expression of the Count's face was so hellish that for a moment I feared, but did not back away. Instinctively, I moved forward with protective impulse, holding the crucifix and wafer in my left hand. I felt power fly along my arm, and was without surprise that the monster cowered back before a similar movement made by each of us. The next instant, with a sinuous dive, he swept under Harker's arm, dashed across the room, and threw himself at the window. He tumbled into the flagging area below. We ran over and saw him spring unhurt from the ground. You think to baffle me, you weak and pathetic mortals. You think you have left me without a place to rest, but I have more. Your girls that you love are mine already, and through them you and others shall yet be mine to feed upon when I will. My revenge has spread over centuries, and time is on my side. The war has just begun. With a contemptuous sneer, he went out the gate. We have learned something. Notwithstanding his brave words, he fears us. He fears time. He fears want. For if not, why he hurries so? His very tone betrays him. Let us go back to Madame Mina. All we can do now is done, and we shall there at least protect her. This concludes Episode 4 of Dracula. Thank you for listening to the Wausau Community Theater's radio drama production of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The cast, in order of appearance, is Aaron Kremen as Jonathan Harker, Larry Kirchkaisner as Professor Van Helsing, Chad Lorson as Quincy Morris, Dylan Sleeper as Arthur Homewood, Sean Caldwell as Dr. John Seward, Sidney Strobel as Seward's attendant, Charles Lynch as R.M. Renfield, and Jacqueline Newell as Mina Harker, and Michael Wettengale as Dracula. This podcast has been sponsored by Central Concrete Cutting and TDS Fiber, with special thanks to Mark Weiss and the Grand Theater of Wausau, and Scott Fritchie. This is a special fundraiser for Wausau Community Theater during the shutdown caused by COVID-19. As you know, theaters around the country have been forced to close their doors due to this pandemic. Please consider making a donation to help keep our community theater alive by going online to wausaucommunitytheater.org and clicking Donate.